Welcome to the Effortless English Show with the world's number one English teacher, A.J. Hogue, where A.J.'s more than 40 million students worldwide finally learn English once and for all without the boring textbooks, classrooms, and grammar drills. Here's A.J. with a quick piece to help you learn to speak fluent English effortlessly. Hi, I'm A.J. Hogue, author of Effortless English. Learn to speak English like a native. I'm the father of the Effortless English system. I train you to speak English fluently and speak powerfully and speak effortlessly. When you join my VIP program, Commit, Don't Quit. And also, now available, my Business English Conversations course at EffortlessEnglishClub.com effortlessenglishclub.com and today we are talking about money again money 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 show me the money we'll be uh, watching that in our movie as well show me the money what's <laughs> a good phrase for our topic show me the money our topic today book club we're going to chapter two today chapter two your money or your life your money or your life is the book Two writers, Joe Dominguez and Vicky Robin. Kind of a classic book, modern classic, on uh, financial independence. And today's a good topic in the book. is talking about really what is money? What is it exactly? Because the truth is, a lot of people don't really think about this question. What is money really? You know, people focus on money. They spend so much energy trying to get money. They stress about money. But they don't really stop and think about what is it exactly? What is money? What is its function? What is it actually? What is it useful for? What is it not useful for? Is it real or is it something else? And we're going to discuss this today in chapter two. Because to master money, to become a master of money, so money doesn't master you. You master money. To become a master of money, you really have to understand what it is, how it works. If you don't, then you make bad decisions. Then, Like most people, like 99% of the people in the world, the adults in the world, make fairly bad decisions about money. And therefore, they're stressed about money. And they are not masters of money. Money is their master. So this is why this topic is very important for today. Now we're live on YouTube today with our book club, so I just want to say hi to everyone. So as usual, let's just jump into chapter two, and I'll go through chapter two, summarize, give my ideas as well, and then we'll go to the live comments and questions. Let's jump in and talk about money. Show me the money. All right, chapter two. The name of chapter two, Money Ain't What It Used To Be and Never Was. All right, it starts with a little story about a couple, Jason and Nedra. They are planning to get married, but here's the problem. They're young people. So this is a couple. It's a real couple. They, I guess they, the authors, the writers, Joe Dominguez, Vicky Robin, they used to have seminars about this. So people would come to their classes before they wrote the book. So they kind of tell some stories from the students that came to their classes. And these are two students that came, Jason and Nedra. And they were young, you know, in their 20s. They were thinking about getting married. But the, already, before their life together started, before they started their marriage, money was already a problem. Because Jason, the man, 
had he owed seven thousand five hundred dollars, seventy five hundred dollars in debt already, just a few years after school. Which that's that's not a small amount, but even worse, the girl, the woman, they were that he w- wanted to marry was twenty thousand dollars in debt already. Twenty thousand dollars. Just a few years after university, I don't know what kind of debt this was. It seems like a lot of it was from uh, buying furniture and buying things. So not even student loans. In America, a lot of students, I mean, a lot of young people immediately have a huge amount of debt. They owe a lot of money at the very beginning of their adult life just for school. $20,000, $30,000, $40,000 or more sometimes. And that's terrible. But um, even worse is credit card debt because the interest is much higher. So here's this: these young people. They want to get married, but, but the, the man is thinking, you know, I don't know. Do I really want to get married to this woman? Because she can't control her spending. She's, you know, he was trying, at least the man, Jason, was trying to live a simple life. He was trying to live more cheaply. But even still, he was $7,500 in debt. So he was not great, but better than her. She had no control at all over her money. So in just a few years, already $20,000 in debt. And so this, they loved each other, but this was preventing their marriage. Because the guy, the man, wisely, intelligently, thought, I don't know if I want to marry this woman. If I marry this woman, she'll make me a financial slave. She's just going to spend uncontrollably and our life will be so stressful. Uh, And then, you know, in the book they say that because of their class, they both learned how to get more control and they did get married. But, um, But it does, you know, kind of the story is nice because it shows how, you know, money can really cause a lot of problems for relationships and marriages. You know, you, you'll read, and in, in, I don't know if it's true, but but you, I've often read that, you know, money problems, the number one cause of divorce uh, are money problems. Debt and money stress and all the disagreements about money. I don't know if it's number one really, but it certainly can be a major problem in a lot of relationships. Dating relationships, if people are living together, and definitely marriage. So, which is sad, right? So then you've got money destroying marriages, which is really bad. It shows you that if we don't master money, it can really cause a lot of pain in our life, in our lives. All right, so then they kind of go, that's the story. The next part of the book, this chapter, they ask a very general, almost philosophical question. What is money anyway? What is money really? What is it really? What is it? A lot of people don't even think about it. I mean, you know, they'll, they'll say, oh, I've, this is money, and they'll, right, I'll like, this is money. This is Japanese money. But what is it really? I mean, because really what this is is just a piece of paper with some ink and some pictures on it, right? There's nothing. I can't eat it if I'm hungry. I can't. It, it, it's just paper. <laughs> okay. So what is it really? Why is this paper valuable? Because by itself, alone, if I'm on an island by myself, only me, this is worthless. Nothing. You know, I, I can maybe burn it. <laughs> 
for a little to make a fire and I could write on it. But if I'm by myself on an island, otherwise this paper is worthless. So we have to think, so what makes this useful? How does this piece of paper become something useful? It's a good question. It's worth thinking about. And they don't give the answer immediately. They, they ask you, you know, think about it. Contemplate this. Think deeply about your own ideas. What is money? Because a lot of people have different ideas what money actually is. So it's a good idea. We got to understand basically what are we dealing with first. Okay, then to answer this question, they actually give four different answers. And they say, imagine your um, four perspectives, they call it. This means four points of view. One is like the very basic point of view, very close up, like you're just looking at it, like your everyday life, right? Spending money, going to the, uh, making money at your job, saving money, maybe investing a little bit, you know, kind of the everyday details of money. That's the most close up. That's not very philosophical. That's what most people do. They only focus on that part. They call this the street level. But they say, trying to solve our financial problems at this physical level, this close level. It's like trying to solve your problems, but you can't really see the problem. You're too close to it. You're not really understanding the problem. So you have to kind of back up and get a higher view. You have to go higher and get a bigger view to really understand what money is and how it works. And when you... When you back up, when you get a bigger view, then you'll make better decisions and you can master money. That makes sense. All right, so then they kind of talk the next level they call the neighborhood level. So it's a little higher up. And this is the level, the emotional level. Okay, so the, the basic level we talked about is just the everyday level. Banks and money and checks. It's what you all think of when you think money. The next level, though, is emotional like our emotions about money, that money has an emotional meaning. This is the level of our personal thoughts and feelings about money, our money style or our personality. And how we, each of us has a different personality about money, a different style, different emotions. So some people are impulsive. Impulsive means they, they have no control, no discipline. They see something, they buy it immediately. Even if they go in debt, they just use their credit cards. It's just very impulsive. Other people, the opposite. They're cautious. They're very careful, very kind of tight with their money. Some people, money is something uh, like for their kind of competition. Try to show that they're better. They have more than other people. Some people are generous. They like to give away their money. All of these things. So it's kind of the emotional. And they, they encourage you, think about what is your style? No, what is your what are your emotions about money? Do you are you afraid of money? Do you love money? Um, are you very careful about money or are you just impulsive about money? And then they say that we also have kind of a money mythology it means our our story about the meaning of money. Each of us kind of has our own idea about the personal meaning of money, what it means to us personally. And they give some examples. So one example, money as security. Some people think money is really for security. It gives emotional security. They feel safer. They use money to defend against uh, bad emotions like fear, worry, anxiety. 
Others think another meaning of money, some people have, money is power. You know, we know, we can see this in the news that there are a lot of people who think money is power, that money is a tool for gaining more and more power. Another common one, maybe the most common one among normal people, money as social acceptance, social status, social acceptance. So many people have an idea that money means uh, being part of a group, right? Being seen like you're higher or lower within the group, within society. If you have less money, then it means you're lower. If you have more money, it means you're higher. So it's all about social status, social position in a group. And of course, you know, this is very limited. We, And people like this, they forget that you can have friendships and love and family without money. Okay, another idea, another meaning. Some people see money as evil. It's evil, right? It says money is dirty. It's evil. Uh, and there's a quote in the Bible. The love of money is the root of all evil. Some people forget about the love of the first part of the phrase, <laughs> right? So they just say money is evil. But it's the love of money that's evil. Money itself is neutral. It's just a piece of paper, really. And then they ask the question, what about you? So again, this is all about you. It's not a right answer. There's not a wrong answer. It's just you need to understand yourself. Right? If you are impulsive and you don't have control, well, then you can probably guess you will need to learn much better discipline with money. If you're the other extreme, if you're very fearful about money, maybe too cautious, then maybe you need to learn how to relax about money, see it more as a game. Right? So it's just understanding yourself is what this is about. It's not like choosing, there's none of these. I, are right answers or wrong answers. It's just different meanings, right? They're, they're, because the truth is, we create the meaning. Okay, next they go up higher level. So that's, next they call it the culture level, the lever, the level of culture. Like, where does money come from? And this is where we're getting really more philosophical. What is money actually? And they say, what is, what is it really? First of all, money is new. It's only, they say it's 4,000 years old. We don't know because, um, to be honest, our history before 4,000 years, we don't really have many records. <laughs> um, so we don't really know. But, uh, as far as we know, we can see evidence that we think money was commonly used about 4,000 years ago is when it really became very common. Maybe before that, but who knows. But money is a token. A token. It's essentially valueless. A valueless marker for something that theoretically, meaning, you know, in theory, had value. So, in other words, so if this is a token, so I'm just showing you on video, I'm showing a Japanese 1,000 yen, which is about $10. So, this is just a token, right? It's a symbol. It's a symbol. This actually is worth almost nothing, right? It's just a piece of paper with a drawing on it, with some ink, printed piece of paper. That's all it is. So, it by itself, it's worth almost nothing. But it's a token. It, it represents something else. What does it represent? It represents, uh, you know, a certain amount of work. It represents uh, the an agreement, a cultural agreement, a society agreement of value, 
right? So people selling things, they might say, okay, this costs 1,000 yen, and I have this piece of paper that I got, this 1,000 yen token. So I, we agree we, we'll trade it. It's just, this is just a symbol for trade. It just makes trade easier. But by itself, it really has no worth. So what it means is money, the worth of money, it only comes from a, an agreement, a societal agreement. Just like if you play a game. If you play a game, let's say you play soccer, okay? Well, you have two teams, you play soccer together. Well, the game only works if everybody agrees to follow the same rules. So everybody agrees. Don't, don't hit the ball with your hand, except the goalies, you know, blah, 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 all the different rules of soccer. But these are just, they, these rules don't come from God or anything, right? We can change the rules of soccer if we want. People can, one side, if one team could decide, uh, we're not going to follow these rules anymore. We're going to use our hands. <laughs> and of course, if, if that happens, the whole game would fall apart, right? The, the whole game would become impossible. Well, it's the same with money. Money is just a game. It's an economic game that we all agree to follow these rules. But it is possible that we could decide individually or even a whole country could decide uh, this money has no is worthless now. And we have seen this actually in Zimbabwe, in... Um, uh, Germany, I think it was after World War One, where the money becomes worthless. The paper money suddenly basically becomes worthless. So this happened more recently in Zimbabwe, where they're printing, you know, on the paper, like, you know, a million, what, I don't know what they're called, dollars, right? And it's still just basically paper. It's worth nothing because suddenly, because of it, it's called inflation, but this super in hyperinflation, suddenly every, the rules break down and... The, everybody realizes this these paper have actually has no value at all and nobody wants to use it anymore. And so that whole the whole economic game falls apart and stops and then people just have to trade real things and they stop using money. So it's good to remember that that the money by itself has no worth. It's the work you do, it's the things you buy. these are all real, you know real wealth uh, but, the actual money, the numbers, are in the end finally not real, right? They're just an agreement. They're just a, they're just points that we agree to follow, like rules in a game. Okay, then we talk about at the society level how then we can get quite a lot of um, fear. They talk about how you can get a lot of fear, especially inflation. People are very afraid of inflation. But they make a nice point about this, that um, inflation, while it can happen, like we saw in Zimbabwe, but we can also realize that um, not everything is inflating, means not all prices are going up. That some things, like some technology, actually gets cheaper over time. And also, it's possible that if you use old things, if you use old technology, those things also become cheaper. So, one point, we'll see this later in the book, they talk about not to fear inflation too much because if you're intelligent, if you live simply, you actually uh, can reduce the cost of what you buy and what you spend and that inflation is actually not so scary if you will have this self-discipline. Which is a nice thing because people, a lot of people are afraid of inflation, inflation, inflation. 
Okay, then finally, the next point, the highest level they talk about, and this is the point of the book, and this is the one they want us to think about. So this is how we're going to describe money. This is their philosophy and the one they want us to think about and use for this book, to master money. And what is it? This is a very important definition. I'll put it on the screen for those on video. Money is something we choose to trade our life energy for. So it's something we... Money... How do we get money? We trade our life energy, our time and our energy and our emotion, our work to get the money. And then we use that money to buy other things. But it's basically it's something we choose to. We're trading life energy for money, life energy. And what is our life energy? It's our time on Earth. It's the hours of our precious life. When we go to our jobs, we are trading our life energy for money, right? What are you doing? If you go to work 40 hours a week, what are you doing? You're giving that company 40 hours of your life, your life energy. For what? To get money, to get the paycheck. So you are spending those 40 hours, are precious hours of your life, and you'll never get them back. They'll never come back again. Nice way to think about it. All right, so what they encourage us to do now is to think about this money equals life energy. Money equals life energy. So to start thinking, this is a good way to think about it because this will make your decisions more clear because then you can really see, like if you're trying to make money, is it worth it? Do you, is it worth 40 hours a week of your life? where you cannot do what you want, where you're away from your family and your children, where you're maybe in a situation, in a place that you don't like, where you're bored, where you're unhappy. Is that really worth it? That life energy is the most important thing. It never comes back. The money comes and goes quickly. It's a good point. So the life energy, your life, right? The precious minutes and hours of your life and also just your energy, your health, how you feel. Those are the most important things, not the money. So we must be very careful, they say, and I agree, about how we spend that life energy. And if we're going to get money, we should be very, very careful how we do it. Okay, and then they, they give another definition, financial independence. So we want to become financially independent. This means you have enough money where you don't need to spend your life energy anymore. You have enough money to live the rest of your life without spending your life energy. You can put all your time and energy into other things that you like. Financial independence is the experience of having enough and then some. So enough and a little more. That's how they, when you have enough money to live and a little more for emergencies, for maybe a little luxury or something, that's all you need. We talked about this last time in chapter one. And then it's, they give another important point that financial independence is really an experience of freedom at a psychological level. That in many ways, financial independence is psychological. You feel free 
of stress. You're free of money psychologically. You're not afraid of it any, anymore. You're not a slave to it anymore. You're not giving away most of your life energy to get it anymore. That's what it means to be financially independent. It doesn't mean you have millions and millions of dollars. You might, but you don't have to. It means you never buy things you don't need. You're free of fear and worry about money. All right, so that's that's very nice. And that gives us the big sort of philosophical mindset that we need to have, the healthy mindset, the clear mindset about what money really is. What are we actually doing when we're trying to get money? We're trading our life energy, the precious minutes of our life that will never come back. So this is why we have to be careful. Now, the rest of the chapter is very practical. It's two, they, two habits, two things they want you to do to start to become more aware of your money. Number one is to figure out right now how much of your life energy are you giving away for money, right? And they do this by what is your real hourly wage? So you're going to figure out how much money are you really making per hour? So each hour you give away of your life to work, to a job or whatever, a business, something, how much are you making? How much is coming back? Really? And we'll... I say really, we'll talk about why I say really, because there's a few details that are important about this. And the second thing is that you're going to track, you're going to make it a habit to track, to watch, to count every penny, right? Every cent, every whatever your currency is, everything you spend, everything, you're going to count it for a few months. You're going to track it and count it and be aware of it exactly how are you spending your money every day, week, and month? Where is it going? There's a lot of people, they're kind of spending, they have a general idea, but they're not really counting. Like, how many hours per month do, I mean, how much money per month do I spend on movies? How much money do I spend on coffee? How much money do I spend on, you know, clothes? How much money am I spending on this? And you're going to do that. You're going to track it and count it in detail. But the first exercise, let's go back to the first one. How much are you trading your life energy for? So what does this mean? It's a very simple formula. First, you find out how much are you making right now, right? How much do you make? And figure out, you know, like how much do you make in one month, maybe a salary, or maybe you're paid by the hour, how much are you making? So that's your basic salary. But then you have to subtract because that's not actually how much you are keeping. You have to subtract the money that you must spend in order to work at the job. For example, commuting. If you have a job, well, you have to go to the job and come back. And you're spending money to do that. Maybe you're buying train tickets to go to your job and come back. Maybe you're driving, so you have to spend for gas to go there and come back. And, you know, part of the cost of your car, fixing your car, car insurance. Well, those are costs. If you didn't have that job, you would not spend that money. So actually, that you have to subtract that. Subtract that from your actual salary, right? Because that's a cost that comes from your job. Number two, they called costuming. It means the clothes you wear at work. 
right? So some people have to wear, they have to buy extra clothes just for work. Like if some people have to wear a suit at work, but at home they never wear a suit. So the cost of the clothes, the cost of the suits, well, you have you have to subtract that from your salary because you are that's the cost of your job. So it actually reduces your real income. Meals, okay? So again, uh, a lot of people, they if they're at a job, they spend more money especially for lunch, right? If they were at home, they could eat in their kitchen and eat cheaply, but because they're at the office, they go out to restaurants a lot, and maybe they're spending a lot more because they're working out outside. So that extra cost, the extra cost of the meals, subtract that from your your salary. Next we get into something a little more psychological, but this is also important. Daily decompression and escape entertainment. What does this mean? Well, it means most people after work they come home feeling tired. And so a lot of times they spend money, spend extra money to try to feel better after work. Maybe they drink a beer. And if they're at home, they're not going to drink the beer because they don't care. They feel fine. But maybe they come home and, oh, they drink some extra beer. Or maybe they spend money, extra money on movies and things just to forget about work. Subtract that money from your salary. And again, like vacations or expensive toys. Again, a lot of people, because they're working and they're stressed at work, they then spend extra money for expensive vacations, expensive cars, just because they're stressed. These things are like toys. So again, subtract the cost of those from your salary. Some people get sick. Some people are so stressed about their job, they get sick. And this costs money to buy medicine and other things. If that happens to you, subtract that from your salary. And then just anything else, anything else that your job costs you, any money you have to spend because you have a job or because you're going to work, all of that subtracts from your salary. And after you subtract all of that, you get your real salary, your real salary, and divide it by the number of hours. Right, So you get the hourly salary. How much are you really making per hour? Every hour you are giving away of your life, every hour you are spending of your life energy, how much money are you getting for that, really? And it's usually less than you think. After you subtract all that other stuff, it's going to be less than you think. You could even subtract some of the taxes because that would also affect it, but we won't go we won't do that. They don't have us doing it, so we won't do it. Okay, so that that's number 1. That's uh A in the book. That's it's it's activity A. That's finding your real hourly salary, so I encourage you to do this this week. Do it. Okay, and then B This is something you need to do for the for the rest of this month, next month. Do it every week. Keep track of every cent, so they're American, so cent, that comes into or goes out of your life. So in other words, track everything you spend, even the smallest amount, even if you buy gum, chewing gum, and you spend 25 cents, write it down. So you're going to write down and track and add up 
everything you spend, everything, even the smallest amounts that you spend, tracking everything, following, recording, everything you spend all the time. And this is, they call this a spiritual discipline. Think of it as a spiritual discipline. It develops an inner witness. In other words, it's mindfulness. You become aware of, number one, you become aware of how much are you really spending. You become aware of, often you'll become aware of like your emotions when you're going to buy something. Because you're going to write it down, it makes you more aware. aware. Sometimes we just spend and we don't even think about it. But when because you're writing down everything you spent, it makes you think a little more and you're thinking, do I really need this? Why am I buying this? And you, you'll start to see that sometimes you're buying things just because you're stressed, just because you're bored, whatever. It's a good exercise. And, you know, they make the point that sometimes we have an idea. We think we know how we are spending money. But some when we do this exercise, we often will find out, oh, wow, I'm spending my money in a different way than I thought. For example, maybe you realize in one month you spend a lot of money on coffee. Maybe you go to Starbucks every day at work, before work. And when you count up for a whole month, you know, it's like $120 you're spending on Starbucks coffee and you realize, wow, that's a lot. That that would be easy to cut. Just make your own coffee and bring it with you, you know? And it would be a tiny tiny amount of the cost. Right? Or maybe some people they spend a lot of money on clothes, they don't even realize it and then they but they add it up after one month, two months and they realize Ah, look how much money I spend on clothes. Or maybe you'll see that it's your rent, your your apartment that's costing you a huge amount. Or maybe you'll realize you're paying a huge amount just for debt. You're paying a huge amount just to pay the interest on your credit cards or something. Or whatever. I don't know. But every that's the reason you do this. To really become very knowledgeable, very aware of everything you spend. You know, this is a good, you know, companies do this. Good companies do this. They track every expense. They don't just spend money and they they don't know where it's going, right? Good companies, they track it. They have accounting and they know where every penny is going. They know where everything is going and how much they're spending total. So you're basically trying to do the same thing for your personal life. And, you know, they recommend when you're tracking this, don't get stressed out about it. Don't, Don't get upset if you're spending too much money on something. That's not the point. It, right now, the point is just to be aware, just to see the truth and to know where are you really spending money. And you'll start to see where are you wasting money. Don't get, don't get mad about it. Don't get upset about it. Just see the truth. This will help you. And that is the end of chapter two. All right, then. Let's go to our questions and comments live. Okay, so, getting into questions, Dalal says, people tend to buy brands to show off. This costs a lot of money, or all of your money. Right, and that is the, you know, what I was saying before. These are people who see money uh, as a way of, like, social position. A lot of people think that way, that money is a tool of for social position, to show your social position. So, they're spending money to look 
like they are higher status, right? They're buying, I don't know, Louis Vuitton or something, or they're, right? They're spending, some people spend huge amounts of money. And what's interesting is that, you know, there are different societies, different groups. So for example, you might have like a group in the, in the ghetto, like in the, in the city in Los Angeles, that for them, status means buying basketball shoes and, you know, Nikes and things like that, spending a lot of money on those things. And then for some other group, like let's say, I don't know, uh, New York City, some people in some other group of people, maybe it's more about buying luxury brands like Louis Vuitton or Gucci or something, right? So each little group has their different idea of status, but they're all using money for that purpose. <laughs> Ibrahim says, after subtracting all those expenses, I think the real salary will be in the minus, will be negative. Yeah, it's possible. <laughs> if your salary's low and you're, I, I've been not quite minus, but I, I do remember in the past, uh, you know, I've had jobs where I was making, well, I can think of one job, especially, I actually worked for Greenpeace one summer before Greenpeace became corrupted. And um, I was driving an hour and a half from Athens, Georgia to Atlanta, Georgia. So I was driving an hour and a half there to, to do the job. It was a part-time job. I'm driving an hour and a half back, so three hours of driving every day to do this job that paid very, very, very little. It wasn't quite minus, but it was close. I was spending a lot of money going there, coming back, and making very little. Yeah, and I, I had to quit because of that. Yeah, like Alamin Ali says, we need money in our modern society, but we don't need to be a slave for it. At the end of the evening, money is just a piece of paper. Enjoy life with family and friends. You don't need to waste time behind lots and tons of money, behind making a ton of money. Yeah, well said. Well said. Yeah, this is very well said too. Nur al-Din says, so people are using their salaries to forget their jobs. The unbelievable reality. That's called the rat race. That's very well said. People are using their salaries to forget their jobs. People do it. I have done it myself in the past. I've had jobs that I hated. And so I've gone to the job and then I've come home and I'm, I was so unhappy and so stressed and so tired and bored from the job that I would then spend money to try to, you know, fill my life, to make my life happier. So I would spend money trying to, you know, buy things that would be fun and, and you know, maybe go on a more expensive vacation and doing things to try to make myself feel better. So exactly, I was going to make money and then I'm spending the money to make myself feel better. It's really insane when you think about it. It's crazy. Now, this is very, another good point. Sukrat says, don't worry, don't work for your money, work to learn. You can lose money anytime, but the knowledge stays with you forever. Yes, that's part of that real wealth that we're talking about, you know, that, that, that knowledge is real wealth. Knowledge, uh, social connections, right? 
including, of course, love and friendship, but also even just uh, business uh, connections, uh, your skills, your abilities, your determination, all of the your virtues. These are things which are real, real wealth. They're real. So even if all your money disappears, you still have all of those things. You know, this is why, for example, for example, this is why, you know, somebody like, um, I don't know, like Donald Trump or somebody like, uh, you know, name anybody big like that, Elon Musk. These guys, you could take away all their money right now. You know, you could make them, give them zero money, but probably in a few years, they would be rich again. Why? Because they have all the connections, all, you know, all the people they know, all the knowledge they have, all the skills they have. They're going to get it back very fast. That's their true wealth. Whereas you or, you or I, you know, if you get put me to zero, I'll probably get back to where I am now. And some people, you could do the opposite. Some people, you could give them a million dollars, but next year it would all be gone because they don't have the knowledge or the skills to use it or save it, right? So that's, that's very well said, again. So Dalal again is saying, you know, looking at spending, my money mostly is gone for food. I want to put a limit on this. Right, you know, I, I remember, you know, when I did this, did this exercise way, way back, a long time ago, I remember at that time in my life, the two big ones I noticed were, number one was my rent. That was number one, for sure. The biggest expense was my rent. And number two was this, was food, because I was eating at restaurants all the time. I was going out to eat all the time. So it was, those were the two big ones. And so what did I do? I attacked those two. Those were the two I worked on to cut and reduce. Okay, Ma HF says, Robert Kiyosaki described the United States dollar and most other fiat money as composing a scam and predicted precious metals and cryptocurrencies will outlast fiat currencies. Yes, now this is at the very highest level of money. What is money? And then, it, then you have the idea of what's a good token? What makes the best token, right? The best symbol for value. And right now we have a, a horrible system. Fiat money means they just print it. They just create it from nothing. And that's the system we have now. It's created from nothing. It's 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 not just the do it's the U.S. dollar for sure, but it's it's all paper money is fiat now. It's just comes created from nothing from air, and you know many people there used to be a gold standard and gold's better. Why? Because gold, you actually, it's something, it's more real. You have to, people have to work, they have to spend energy, dig it out of the ground. It's limited. You can't create gold from nothing. So it's limited. And so it was, it was a better symbol. It was more reliable. So it didn't create this crazy inflation. Um, so yes, hopefully we go back to a money system that is more stable. But right now the money system is very unstable. And it all could just disappear. Pow! Like that. It could lose value very fast. Ha <laughs> ha! 
American saying, money comes like a turtle, is gone like a rabbit. <laughs> it's a good saying. Often true. Yeah, well, exactly. Ahmed says, money itself doesn't have any meaning. We give meaning to money. Money can be anything. Exactly. Money can be anything. We can look in history. People used to use shells. Shells, like from the ocean. They used to, some cultures in the past used that for money. Silver and gold have been used as money for thousands of years by most societies. Now, we just use paper and numbers on a computer screen. So, yeah, we can decide. So we can, but in each of these different things, they affect the game, right? Just creating money from nothing, just computer screen numbers or paper has some, can create some very big problems. Uh, you know, I spend money on books, Govin says. Well, yeah, you know, I think, I think knowledge and skills are a very good investment. For that, for the reason, you know, like we were talking about before. Okay. All right, just going through lots of comments, guys. So I'm trying to read them very quickly. Pick one. Okay, well, Danielle talking about how you can... Danielle 22 saying, how do you use money? Money is not exactly something that doesn't make sense. Uh, you can use it to do good or evil. It depends on the way you get it and use it. Which is connected to this chapter they were saying it's morally neutral which is what daniel's saying that right you could use money to i don't know buy clothes for somebody <laughs> who's cold or you could use money to you know do something bad to somebody to pay someone to hurt somebody what you know obvious examples right so the money's just uh, it's just a marker it's a tool it really is that's it Yeah, and see, Carol, this is a good point. I listen to you, AJ, when you're commuting, makes it worth the time. It's a nice idea using the, that commuting time, using some, taking that time back to doing something that's meaningful for you. Sachin says, do you think money has the power to convert any person to become a materialist? I don't think the money does it. It's... Uh, you know, like I said, the money is just a paper. It's just a symbol. It's you know, the person. You decide in your own head what the, what it means to you. And uh, of course, we have a society now that encourages materialism. And that's where I think it comes from. Mostly people are trained at a young age to think that way.
Manuel says, I've got a question. There's a pal I recently met on Skype, lives in Iraq, unfortunately has no money. He would like to come to Germany. Any tips? How could I help him? Uh, no. Why does he want to go to Germany? He should stay in Iraq and help build Iraq. That would be my opinion, but, you know, it's not your responsibility to get him to Germany. He, I would say don't worry about it. Uh, Vijayan says, is it good to spend money? Um, on what? How? Right? What does that mean? Spend money on what? I have, If you have to eat, it's good to spend money on food. So sometimes, yes, it's good to spend money. We have to do it. Right? It's a tool. It's, so it is useful. Right? This, is, this cup is a tool. It's useful for drinking things. Okay? But it's not useful for some other things. If I try to build a house using this as a hammer, it's not useful. It will break. So you think of it like that, money. So it's useful for some things, right? You want to go, you're hungry and you want to buy some food. Money is very useful. Uh, on the other hand, if you waste the money, then what happens? Then it's gone. You don't have enough to buy food. So now what? You have to go trade more of your time. You have to go spend more of your time working, working, working to get more. So it's not about... You have to be more specific. It, that's why the, in this chapter, they want you to track, to record everything you spend. Everything. And look at it. And then, you know, the next thing is, I think next chapter, you're going to look at everything you spend. Every one. Even like gum, 25 cents. And you're going to ask yourself every time, do I really need this? Did this make me happy? Is this useful? Was this an intelligent way to spend my money? Right? And you decide. I, I don't decide that for you. No one else decides. You decide for yourself in this way. So it's, it's not spending or no spending. It's not yes or no, black or white. It's how do you spend? What, what are the intelligent, good ways to spend money for you that it make you make your life better? And what are the ways you're spending money which are not making your life better, which in fact maybe directly or indirectly are adding stress to your life because you're wasting money which causes you to have less and to have to work more and have more stress so that's the thing it's just it's just examining looking very carefully exactly how you're spending your money and asking that question again and again is this an intelligent way to spend my money is this making me happier or not and you answer the question it's your life it's your life not mine Uh, like if Jenny says, uh, how to get out from the nine to five job? Well, I, I'm sure there are many ways. My, the, I can only, I can tell you how I did it, and that is, I cut my expenses. I followed this book, in fact, and what I did is, I did this exercise, this exact exercise, this chapter. I found my hourly wage, and it was lower than I thought, <laughs> and uh, I started to examine everything I was spending and I I kind of put everything into a category and like I said I saw that ah oh, my big expenses are rent is number one and number two was food and so then I attacked those expenses like I cut those expenses lower and lower and lower constantly 
making myself more disciplined to spend less money on those two things. And when I got those two quite low, I quit my full-time job and I never worked full-time again. I, I made a decision at that time. I decided, okay, now I will only work part-time. I will never work full-time. Full-time in America is 40 hours a week, you know, eight hours a day. So I decided I'll never do that again. I'll only work half-time. 20 hours a week is my maximum now from this point in my life. And I did that for several years. And then even that, I got tired of that. <laughs> and then I decided I want to be free. I want to have my own business. I don't want to have a boss. And that was the next step. But if just, you know, it's a nice, good, it's a good goal, actually, of Jenny, as a good first goal is just to get away from full time. It's a, still a very nice change in your life to go from full time work, 40 hours or more per week, to half time. That's an extra 20 hours per week you suddenly get back. It will make you a lot happier, more energetic. Your whole life feels more free and easy. So just that change, just the change to working part-time really helps in my experience. It makes a big difference. So how do you do it? I mean, the I think following this book actually is the how you do it. Because later in the book, you'll see that we're going to be cutting expenses, cutting, 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 cutting those expenses down until you can live just on half-time money. Okay. Uh, yeah, well, Emmanuel says, is the case in Japan many youth are obsessed with m technology? Yeah. Because <laughs> in Germany, that's the case. Uh, buying expensive phones, computer. Yeah, well, exactly. This is consumerism. I don't even know if materialism is the right word. I think it's consumerism, right? Buy, 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 buy. But they're doing that. Now, for them, what is it? It's social status. It's entertainment. Why are they need that? Because they're unhappy. They don't have any other meaning in their life. That's one reason. The other reason is socially, they're trying to, this is a way that teenagers show status, right? We all know this, even in, at a high school age, there's a kind of status in high school. What kind of clothes you wear, the kind of computer you have, the games you play. I mean, it's at all ages you can find this mindset. So, is that, do you find this in Japan? Yeah. I was sad to see it in Thailand last time I visited Thailand. All the kids walking around staring at their cell phones. It was kind of sad. Yeah, well, Danielle, with a great comment here. And this is what, this, this is kind of a good summary, another way to say the main point of this chapter, what Danielle 22 is saying here. Something that is more important than time, than money, is time. Time is not just something to spend. It's something to create life solutions, something to make civilization increase and get better. Yes, and time is limited. Money's not limited. Money's unlimited. Because they can always create more. It's just a number. But time, we all have limited time. We all know we will die. We all know we have limited number of days, of years. So, too many people focus on money, 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 and not on time. What you really should be focused on is time. 
getting more time for yourself, more time to do what you love, more time to spend with people you like and love, more time doing things that are meaningful to you, not money. The money is necessary sometimes, but time is what should be number one. And that's why they're saying this, that the point of this chapter is to convert money to time, to look at money as a way of buying time, as spending time losing your time Ah, oh, Vladislav says in the first chapter of the book they told us find out how much money you earned and spent during your life every dollar it's impossible to remember how did you do it Ah, uh, well there's an easy way for the earning because um, in the United States they there's something called Social Security Agency uh, and you when you do taxes you have to report your income every year so it's easy they I, you can get a report from them that shows every year how much did you make so I just got that report and it I added it all up so that was really easy. And how much did I spend? Well, I knew because how much do I have <laughs> saved? I had no money saved at that point. So I knew, oh, I spent all of that. It's all gone. <laughs> so it was actually pretty easy. You know, I, I made, I don't know, $80,000 in my life at that point, And I spent, actually, I spent more than that because I was in debt. <laughs> So if you see, I think money can buy happiness. When I have enough money, I can buy anything I want. So you're saying that buying things creates, is, is the source of happiness. I think you might be wrong about that. You can try it, but buying things will get, it's not a source of happiness, really. It's a source of pleasure sometimes, a little excitement when you buy something new. But what happens? A week later, you're not excited about that new thing anymore. So now you got to buy something else. And then you got to buy something else. And you got to buy something else. And if you're lonely and you don't have love in your life, you don't have meaning, you don't have purpose, buying a lot of crap, buying a lot of stuff will not make you happy, Sophie. It won't. And so just having more and more money to buy more and more stuff, you know, most of the stuff we buy is just junk now. You know, like a cell phone. We think, oh, I got this cool cell phone. Five years later, it's a piece of junk. It's, it's worthless. Five years later, this nice new iPhone you're, you're excited about is totally worthless. You don't even care about it anymore. And that's the same for everything. So, no, I don't think it does. I think you're wrong about that. And, it's a, and I think too many people think this because they're programmed and then they spend a lot of their life and a lot of energy trying this to buy, 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 buy and they lose a lot of years and then they finally wake up and realize I'm not happy. I've spent all this time, all this energy on money and buying stuff. I've got all this junk and I'm still really lonely and unhappy. It sucks. Don't do it. I've seen too many people do it. Ah, Emmanuel says, my beloved cousin would like to start his own startup with less money. Is it possible? Do you have any practical tips? 
how he can get started. It's definitely, it's good. I'd say not only is it possible, it's better. I think overall that starting a business with less money, some exceptions, but overall starting a a startup uh, with very little money is good. Teaches you a lot of discipline. Your cousin will have to be very disciplined with money. He'll have to be creative to solve problems. Uh, And those are good skills, right? We're talking about real wealth. It'll force him to learn those important skills and that important discipline, which will help him later as he finally does make money. If you just give him like $10 million, he doesn't learn much. This happens in Silicon Valley, in San Francisco, and Silicon Valley all the time. You've got all these companies with getting a huge amount of money from investors, and they just waste it, and Silicon Valley is going to crash. I absolutely believe there will be a big tech crash eventually because those guys know are most of those businesses are crap. They're not making any money. They're just getting investor money. They keep going because of all the huge amounts of investor money, but they have no discipline. They have no financial discipline at all. And just many, 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 many of those companies are going to fail and crash. And I think the whole tech sector is quite in danger my opinion but anyway it's always good to to bootstrapping it's called called bootstrapping it's a nice slang phrase where you build a business with very little money little by little (laughs) Alamin connecting back to our book Animal Farm why do people spend a lot of money for clothes I think they represent like Molly the foolish horse from Animal Farm yeah (laughs) right that's exactly right Molly would buy little, have little ribbons. Well, I agree. You can probably tell, right? Um, yeah, I know. I don't know. Yeah, like Ahmed says, Ahmed Bajaji says, sometimes when you have plenty of money, you don't have time. You feel imp- you feel an empty life, like you're pouring water on the sand. Very poetic, right? Exactly, exactly. Have you ever visited Silicon Valley? I used to live in San Francisco, Visco Vint. I used to live there. I lived there for six years. All right, a couple more and then uh, time to go. When you're going to give a party, you're going to have a million subs. I think I, I think I did pass a million on YouTube. Uh, yeah. Uh, if you quote my favorite writer, I have to read your comment. Sachin says, Thoreau said, give me truth. It was exactly the same thing you mentioned. Happiness can't be bought. Yes, Thoreau exactly right that truth is more important than money I have a lot of stuff. How much you received by a gift? Yeah, I don't. I didn't make much money 
from gifts is a, <laughs> I wouldn't worry about it unless you've get, got gotten a lot of money from gifts in your life. Uh, you know, it, you know, it doesn't need to be super exact. It gives it gives you a general idea. I think more important is now this chapter, this exercise is the more important one, which is tracking exactly what you're spending now every single day. This is really important. The one about figuring out your whole life, how much did you make? Yeah, do it. But you don't, don't worry if you can't remember exactly every detail. It's not a big deal. But for the one where you're tracking your real expenses now, every penny, every penny. Health, Rawad says health can't be bought by money. Indeed. And often people do the opposite. They, when People make money and they, they spend it on lots of unhealthy food <laughs> and becoming lazy and too much luxury and they get fat and unhealthy. Um, it's possible to, to be very, very, very healthy with, with very, very, very little money. You know, you can just eat um, very healthy food. You can fast. You can exercise. You can do all these things for a very low amount of money on a low, low budget. For sure you can. Luboff says, consumerism rules the world, unfortunately. It does. But the good news is we have the freedom. We don't have to follow that. We don't have to follow that. You don't have to... Uh, become a slave and this is what this whole book is about it's why we're doing this book to show you that there are other choices you can let other people do that if they want to do that fine it's okay but if you want to do that fine you know i'm not gonna attack you if you want to do that um but there is another way Okay, this is an English question. Stas says, is it worth to go to Australia in order to attend an English course for one year or longer? Um, I don't know. You don't have to. You can certainly make plenty of progress at home using, you know, internet and audios and videos and independent learning. Uh, and you can probably do it much more cheaply <laughs> than going to Sydney. So it just depends. But, you know... Sydney would certainly give you some, like, cultural, uh, you know, be a nice experience. So, it's up to you. Yeah, Carol, nice George Carlin quote. One of my favorite comedians. Trying to be happy by accumulating possessions is like trying to satisfy hunger by taping sandwiches all over your body. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> this is an interesting request. Make a live stream from Deco about Kung Fu techniques. I'm afraid I don't know anything about that. <laughs> Other than like movies. 
I did. I wanted to inter. I, I want to inter- interview someone about jujitsu. Maybe I'll just contact my uh, instructor, my uh, old instructor here in Osaka. He speaks English well. He's Brazilian. He speaks English very well. Speaks Japanese, English, and Portuguese. So could ask him language learning questions too. Yeah, well, like Ahmad says, searching for life satisfaction is more important than searching for extra money. And I like that you put the word extra there because that's one of the big points of this book, that there's, a, there's enough and then there's just a lot of extra. We could even say excess, right? So where the problem comes that you have to identify in your life, what's enough money? How much is enough for you? And then after that, you don't need more. That's... A very nice way to think about it. All right, guys. Govin says, teaches Japanese. Um, probably not. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks. But I'm not qualified. All right, guys. So that's all for now. So tomorrow, well, next week, we'll do chapter three. Ah, oh, wait. Next week. Um, no, next week, we have to skip it. I act- I'm going to have visitors. My sister and my niece from America are coming to visit me in Japan next week. So next week, the schedule, not this coming week, but like a week from today, a week from today. So starting next Saturday, uh, I, I don't know. We'll see. I don't know my schedule. I'm probably, hopefully I can do a few shows, but not every day. And next Saturday, probably no show next Saturday for the book club. So we'll probably have to skip one because my sister's coming i have to go to the airport pick up my sister and my sister's daughter right my niece and they they will be visiting here for about a week so i i need to be a tour guide and you know a good host for them so i'll let you know and we'll see i i don't know my exact schedule with them but a lot of my time i i need to you know spend with them and i'm still take care of my baby so uh, this coming week you know this this week coming no problem but starting next saturday we probably probably have to uh, take another little break. So anyway, read chapter three, probably two weeks from now, we'll do chapter three. Tomorrow, we start a new movie. So movie technique lesson tomorrow. Uh, We'll be live on Twitch. I'm still getting working on getting the recordings. I know I'm with, when my babies went in the hospital, everything got delayed. So I'll get the recordings of the Matrix for the VIP members. It will happen. Just be patient. Sorry. Uh, and I'll do the same with Jerry Maguire. But anyway, we'll start starting live lessons. Jerry Maguire, super great movie. Super great. I just watched it again recently. I love that movie. Really, really love that movie. It's such a positive. It really make you feel good, I think. It's, this is a movie, you know, after Brave New World and even The Matrix, sometimes, you know, uh, we've, sometimes some bad feelings, right? We're thinking about all this, some of the ugly, terrible truths. It's important, but sometimes it doesn't feel so good. Well, I think that with Jerry Maguire, some very, very, very nice, really great, wonderful, positive messages about virtue and love and friendship and family and meaning and purpose. All of these things. Very nice movie. We'll start it tomorrow. Jerry Maguire, starring Tom Cruise. So I'll see you all tomorrow. Until then, get my business English course 
and VIP program at EffortlessEnglishClub.com. Go to EffortlessEnglishClub.com.